Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David concludes our series on the disciples with a look at Thomas, the brave, the doubter, or the believer. Let's listen. Well, we are talking about belief today. And I want you to start thinking about what does belief look like on a just day-to-day basis. And for that, I'm going to share a story, and it's a true story that I just found to be a great example of this. So there was a woman who was on a a mission trip, and she was preparing for this mission trip. She was going to go to Africa, and she had this strong sense that she should pack a duffel bag that she had full of children's shoes. And immediately, the kind of questions started rolling in her head. Well, she thought, well, we're not even working with children on this particular trip. It really doesn't make sense. And and I'd have to then lug this heavy duffel bag onto the airplane and and with me everywhere I go. And so she thought to herself, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And yet that strong kind of persistent inner sense said, no, you need to pack these shoes. So she listened. She said, okay, I'll, I'll pack them. And then every day of the trip, She would lug that heavy bag with her onto the bus. She'd take it off the bus and then hope there'd be an opportunity to give away these shoes. And there never was. And day after day, she would lug that heavy bag back onto the bus, very disappointed. Do you think that doubts started creeping in in that moment? Do you think some inner questions of, well, did I hear God wrong? Did I just kind of make that up within myself? Started maybe wondering in the back of her mind. Well, on the very last day, she said, you know, this is it. I'm just going to leave these shoes right here. My back hurts. I'm tired. I feel kind of like odd to be lugging this around. Everyone's looking at me saying, why do you have children's shoes? She decided not to bring them. And then she said in this moment, she heard a strong inner voice. And the inner voice said, take the shoes. So she did. And she got off the bus, and the first person she met was a woman in the village who refurbished children's shoes. And she broke down crying when she saw what the duffel bag was filled up. And and this part gets me every time. She said, I ran out of shoes the day before, and I cannot believe that you have now come with all of these shoes because I can refurbish them and give them to the children in this village. That, to me, is acting on belief on a day-to-day basis. Belief is not always that booming voice from God saying, do this, but often it's that inner sense, that inner voice of God speaking into your heart, and then us saying, okay, what do I do with that? How do I act upon that? How do I live with that? Well, we're thinking about belief because we're studying the disciples, And today's disciple, and this is the last disciple we're going to study in this series, today's disciple, he shares with us the complexities, I think, of both belief and of faith. Yes, today's disciple is Thomas. Now, you probably know Thomas because of his nickname, Doubting Thomas. He was given this nickname probably because of his most well-known story, where at the end of the Bible, he doubted that Jesus had actually been risen from the dead. But Thomas actually shows up much earlier in the Gospels, and his life is not fully fully defined by simply that last story. So I want to study Thomas 
as he comes a little bit early in the gospel account. Uh, This is the first time he appears. It's actually in John chapter 11. As we study his story, ask yourself, what does this teach us about acting on faith and belief? So the context of this story, Jesus has just been told that one of his good friends, Lazarus, was near death. And they asked him, Jesus, won't you come? Won't you come and heal him? And so Jesus tells his disciples, we're going back to go and visit where Lazarus lives so that we can heal him. And the disciples, kind of unexpectedly, push back on that. They tell Jesus, no, we should not go back to that place. And here's why. It says, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. So Jerusalem was in Judea, and that's the region that they were going to. And in Jerusalem is where the chief priests were, and they were the main rivals of Jesus. So the last time that Jesus was there, which was actually just in the last chapter of John, Jesus comes and says things, and they get so mad at him that in that moment, they pick up rocks and start throwing them at Jesus, hoping to kill him. Now, Jesus escapes in that moment, but the disciples are saying, why would we ever go back? We can't go back to the place that they just tried to kill you, even if it's to really save and heal one of your good friends. You see, Jesus' safety to the disciples is not to be taken for granted. And yet, Jesus wants to go back anyway, because it is worth it to him to put his life in danger to heal somebody that he loves. So he tells the disciples, I'm going. I'm going anyway to heal him. And all the disciples are silent in response to that, except for Thomas. And here's what Thomas says. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, first I want you to notice that Thomas actually does have a nickname here, but it's not Doubting Thomas, it's Didymus. So we should really call him Didymus Thomas if we want a nickname, although that doesn't flow very well because Didymus is actually a Greek word, and it's a Greek word for twin. So what they call Thomas was Thomas the twin. There's your fun fact for today. Thomas is actually a twin. I thought that was kind of interesting. But Thomas the twin here He speaks not to Jesus, but he speaks to the rest of the disciples. And he tells them that even though they don't want to go back to Judea, he says, listen, if Jesus is going back, if Jesus thinks this is important, then we need to go back with him. And if Jesus ends up dying while he goes to rescue a friend, then we're his disciples and we die by his side. Thomas realizes that Jesus is going to put himself in danger regardless of what the rest of the disciples do. And he wants then the disciples to follow because that's what they do, right? Disciples follow Jesus no matter what they face. Now, I would guess that this would have been an unpopular opinion, don't you think? I mean, don't you think the rest of the disciples were probably thinking about ways that they could all kind of pressure Jesus not to go? Maybe convince him that, no, 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 we'll, we'll get there eventually, but we just need to lay low for a while. I think this brings us to our first takeaway. As we study Thomas's life 
and the way that he lived out his path of discipleship to say, well, how does that affect how we live our lives? And here's my takeaway. Following Jesus may lead us into some pretty uncomfortable situations. I really believe that we follow Jesus into green pastures, and we also follow Jesus into the valley of the shadow of death. And both things are required. I mean, sometimes it takes someone, maybe even us, speaking up to say, hey, we need to do the hard thing here, if this is what Jesus requires. So I'm really, I'm impressed with the faith that Thomas shows here, because his faith comes with conviction. Thomas's conviction to do what is right, to follow Jesus no matter what, that really inspires the rest of his disciples, because then they all decide, okay, we'll go. We'll follow Jesus no matter where he's going. That means that sometimes the confidence that you show in doing what you know is right, I think will inspire other people to follow Jesus when they see how you live your life. Now, that's the first instance of Thomas that we see here. Thomas saying, come on, disciples, this is what we signed up for. We're going to follow Jesus. But the next time that he shows up is what I was kind of discussing with the children today in children's message. Thomas was never shy to ask a question. So later on in the ministry, Jesus consents that his time on earth is coming to a close. Uh, Jesus knows that he's going to be killed and that he will not be physically present there with the disciples any longer. The disciples don't quite know that yet, but Jesus does. And Jesus is trying to share with them that he's going to be gone a little while. He's going to die, but that he will return. His death will not be permanent. Here's one way towards the end of his ministry that he tries to share this with his disciples. He says this in John chapter 14. Teaching his disciples, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus is providing this picture of being with God. And the picture he, he kind of paints is living in God's house. And he says, if you live in God's house, know that there's enough room for you. There's enough space for you to dwell in Jesus or in God's presence. And Jesus says, I'm going to die. But after my death, I'm going to take you back to be with me so you can be in my father's household. And while he's using this analogy, he tells them, listen, you know the way to the place where I'm going. You know the way to my father's house. You know the way to God. Now, I bet a lot of the disciples didn't quite understand what Jesus was teaching. They had a hard time wrapping their minds around Jesus' teaching of his death and his resurrection. And so I, I bet they didn't quite understand what he meant when he was using this analogy of his father's house. And yet, it is Thomas, and Thomas alone, who decides to ask a question. The next verse says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? I think every teacher needs a student like this in their class 
who might just say the opposite of whatever the teacher just said. I mean, Jesus tells the class, you know the way, and Thomas goes, uh, teacher, no, I don't. No, we do not know the way to where you are going. But I think what Thomas is doing is actually very wise, because it is clear that he does not understand what Jesus is saying. And so he asks a question. Too often, I think, if we're confused by something that we hear about in church or we read in the Bible, we stay quiet for fear of standing out. We stay quiet because we're nervous. Maybe everyone else already knows the answer. Or what will they think about me if I'm asking this question? But Thomas overcomes those fears of asking the question. And for all we know, the rest of the disciples may have been wondering that exact same thing that Thomas ended up asking. Let me tell you, in in this church, there's no wrong question. Because I believe that by asking questions about God and about faith, that's how we become more keenly aware of what we do not yet know. And when you're aware of what you don't yet know, that sets you on a path. That sets you on a trajectory of searching for answers and learning and growing in your faith, which as disciples is what we all need to be doing. If Thomas had not asked this question, then none of us would have been able to hear Jesus' beautiful answer to that question. Thomas says, how do we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. So where or what is the way to God's house? Jesus, of course. Jesus is the way. We would not have had that answer if Thomas did not ask that question. In essence, I think what Jesus is saying here is don't make discipleship more complicated than it needs to be. Simply follow Jesus, and you will end up where you need to be. Thomas is doing that. He's asking the right questions. He's following Jesus. He's telling the other disciples, we need to follow even when it's uncomfortable, even when we're not sure where Jesus is leading. That's who we are as disciples. Everything's going well for him in his path of discipleship until it doesn't, until everything goes off the rails. I wonder if this has ever happened to you before. Perhaps you've had this sort of experience where everything's going well for you in in following God. You've got a church community. You feel supported, and then something goes wrong, and it just steers you off course, or it just knocks the wind out of you. For Thomas, that event was Jesus dying. He was not prepared for that. And as much as, as Jesus tried to teach his disciples what was going to happen, they did not understand. Thomas did not understand. I wonder if Thomas reflected on that earlier statement he made of let's go with Jesus even if we will die with him. Well, now Jesus has actually died, and none of the disciples know what to do. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Well, we're told that after Jesus died, uh, all the disciples met together in a room, and they they lock the door because they're in fear. They're in fear that the same people who killed Jesus are still looking for them and may come and try to kill them too. 
And so they lock the door, and they just meet together, saying, we don't know what to do anymore now that Jesus is gone. But the way John tells it is that Jesus then enters the room. In his resurrected state, he can enter the room even when that room is locked, and the disciples are ecstatic. Because that's the first moment in John chapter 20 that they have seen the risen Christ. It's the first moment that they can come to belief that, oh, Jesus has come back. Jesus is risen again. So they are so excited at this, but we're told that Thomas was not with them. Here's the verse in John chapter 20, picking up in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they go and tell him, we have seen the Lord. Okay, so for these other disciples, these other disciples, seeing was believing. They saw Jesus. They saw the resurrected Christ, and they believed that he had come back from the dead. And they went and told their friend. They went and told their fellow disciple, we have seen the Lord. He's risen. He's back. Now, here's the question I want you to think about. Do you think Thomas would have believed them that Jesus really was back based only on the testimony of his friends? As I thought about that, I thought, well, he, he might. He might because obviously he was close with those disciples. They had traveled for three years together, learning from Jesus together. I bet he had a, a high level of trust with them. And so when they said, Jesus is back, well, maybe, maybe some part of him truly believed what they said. And yet, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, there are some things that you cannot accept based on the testimony of others. And I think faith is one of those things. Others who have experienced God, they can point you in the right direction. They can point you towards God, but they cannot believe for you. Now, each one of us must decide what we believe for ourselves. And this was true for Thomas, too, because here's his response. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So for Thomas, it was not enough to hear that Jesus was risen simply on the account and testimony of his friends, no matter how trustworthy they were. He had to experience Christ firsthand. And I, honestly, I don't think any of us are that different from Thomas. Experience the, experiencing the presence of God firsthand in our lives, I think that, that's what really makes the difference for each and every one of us. I mean, you might come to church because of a recommendation from a friend. Uh, you might even be a little bit more open to believing because of their testimony. But the step towards actually believing and choosing to form your life around the faith in Jesus, that comes from the firsthand knowledge and understanding of the power and presence of Christ in your life. So Thomas says, unless that happens— I will not believe. Fast forward one week later. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So everything that happened a week before is happening the same way again. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Okay, I really love this story. And I love this story because Jesus is giving Thomas exactly what he needs to believe. I mean, think about that. One week prior, Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see Jesus myself, unless I can touch his wounds. And then Jesus comes and says, okay, okay, do those very things that you said that you needed. And that was enough for Thomas. Because his response is, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Yes, Thomas has come to faith in the resurrected Jesus. He is convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. And the only way that that would have been possible is that Jesus was God. Now, you might be thinking, okay, that's all well and good for Thomas. But what about us? There's a lot of us in this room who would love to be where Thomas was, to see the resurrected physical Jesus right here in person, just like we're talking today. Well, Jesus has some words for us. The last verse that we're going to study today, it says, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is talking about us. We are those who live in such a time that we have not physically seen Jesus, and yet we have the opportunity to believe. Yes, Jesus says those who believe without physical evidence, those people will be blessed. So based on Thomas's story, based on what we've studied so far today, what's your big takeaway for your path of discipleship? As I reflected on this, I think it is for us to ask the same question that Thomas had to ask himself. What do we need to believe? And if we don't have that yet, ask God for it. I mean, go to God in prayer and tell God exactly what it is that you need to believe. Because in this story, what I see is that Jesus lovingly met Thomas at the exact point of his need and then steered him back onto the path of faith. And I believe that Jesus will do the same for you. Now, what do you think? Just as a side note, it, should Doubting Thomas get a new nickname? I mean, I really think so. Because as I read his story, doubt was not the defining characteristic of his life or his faith. And that's what, usually, that's the case for us as well. There may be a season of it, but it is not the defining characteristic. And so I wonder more about trusting Thomas, because eventually Thomas came to trust in God. Or maybe, and this is my favorite one, brave Thomas, because Thomas was so brave to follow Jesus when no one else would, to ask the question no one else would ask. Regardless of the nickname, when you think of Thomas this week, remember that the ebbs and flows of faith are natural on any walk of discipleship. And so no matter how you feel today, won't you remember Jesus' words to us? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.